What's up, everybody? This is Alex Kelly with another episode of Furloughed Film Talks here with Ryan. What's up, y'all? Who's my brother. See. We are here on Thursday morning with another fun episode of Stuff to Talk About, Ryan. We yep. got a lot. <laughs> Good bit to talk about. Yeah, I got a couple stories I'm going to run by you to begin, but okay. uh, we're going to start off with a little... Zachary Levi news, uh, Kurt Warner movie. That's what we're going to start with. But then we're going to do our review of uh, the Susie Q documentary. We watched that last night. Yep. And then we will talk about the Ben Affleck movie, uh, The Way Back, which came out like March-ish. Uh, yeah. But we just... No, it came out like... Wasn't it one of the last ones being theaters? Yeah. It, it got think, released in theaters, right? Yeah, but it just came out on DVD, and so yeah. you can tell because one of the previews on it is Tenet, so, mm-hmm. uh, and it still has the old Tenet date, which is really funny to see. So we will talk about that at the end. It was a really great movie. We're excited to kind of dive into deep into that. But, Ryan, there were two stories as I was perusing Deadline today that I wanted to throw your way. The first one being uh, Shang-Chi, uh, the new Marvel movie. That's going to be coming out next year. Mm-hmm. It's going to resume production in Australia by the end of July. So the end of this month, they're expected to go back to Down Under and finish up Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. So I think that's kind of interesting. I, I, had they already started production? Yeah. Before? So they were, I think they were. their release date was supposed to be like February of 2021. Oh, okay. So like they were supposed to be done by now. Have they set like an early state for it or anything? Yeah, so it's been pushed to May seventh, twenty twenty one. Okay. So uh, I understand the crew who traveled to Australia will be quarantined upon arrival for the country's guidance. Do I? The, uh, side note. <laughs> Remember when Liam was saying that they were having an outbreak in his part of Melbourne? Yeah. I found out why. Okay. So it was because. They have certain hotels, kind of like we do, that are only for people who, like, are coming into the country, and they have to quarantine there for two weeks or whatever. Like, people are getting sick, and they have to go quarantine in these hotels. Okay. The fucking workers at those hotels are screwing those people, and so, like, that's why it's getting transmitted so fast in this one part of Melbourne, because they're just fucking the people with COVID in there. Oh, they're, like, actually having sex with the... Yes. What? Yeah. Like, they're having relations with these people who are in lockdown. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's kind of dumb. So, Australia, that little part of Australia... That's what he was talking about. He was like, yeah, we're being stupid. Look, we're doing this shit in Australia. But anyways... That's funny he didn't say exactly. Yeah, I just, like, happened upon a fucking article about it, and I was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense now. That... I don't... I can't believe that it's, like, a majority... that can explain like the majority of the cases there's no way i mean it would explain why there is an uptick when the rest of the country is like completely down i guess but it doesn't make sense why like that's the only place that that's happening yeah like it's such a weird story but anyway so saying shang chi wanted to update you a little bit on some marvel news so okay well, let's th- let's get to here i guess i i mean i hope they are able to do that in I, july so do you did they finish production on like the eternals and everything like my understanding of the Eternals was that it was not, it hadn't wrapped yet. And so I think there's still stuff that they have to do. Eternal. No, I think they haven't wrapped it. So I think there's still some posts that they have to do. There's probably some reshoots that they always have to do yeah. to kind of get it ready. So I don't think that's done. Um, they'll have to kind of ramp that production back up, which that's going to be pretty extensive. Cause yeah. I bet that's a very CGI laden movie. Oh yeah, I mean, this is gonna be just as bad as Endgame. Like, oh probably yeah. Uh, 
probably not to the same ex- like obviously not the same dollar amount but like cg like everything that they're having to do i just think like in number of total scenes of cgi it's got to be like oh it has su- yeah it has close. to be it has to be comparable to the like the percentage wise of what you know end game was yeah yeah for sure so um i'm kind of surprised disney's like starting production this early like well know. i think they're i think but australia is probably a safe place to go and if they do it right where they take them over there and they quarantine them and then like they don't have any cases they can probably if they do like a you know bare bones crew they can probably get out there and get the majority whatever they need done that was left with the movie right. and shang chi is probably not a super cgi heavy movie it shouldn't be right i mean there might be there's there's certain mystical aspects of the character that there's probably going to be a lot of cg work with but like it's mostly going to be like martial arts and whatnot, yeah it's like so. more hand-to-hand combat and stuff like that so i would think that would lend itself to be able to Dude, do this is their fucking chance to do like a rated r john wick style marvel movie just have be have chung lee be like a fucking oh that's what they're gonna do it's gonna be awesome is it r i mean Oh, like R-rated? It's not going to be R-rated. It'll be PG-13. So I'm just headshotting folks. Just. Uh, oh, so, okay. Eternals wrapped. Okay. That's so good. it's done. So that's good. But Hopefully Shang-Chi... they don't need reshoots or anything. Yeah, that shit ain't happening. Yeah, that's not fucking going to happen. There's no way they can get all those people together. I don't know. I wonder if Marvel is starting to use the, um, like, the mm. technology that uh, Disney or uh, The Mandalorian was using. That like virtual, like the virtual uh, stages, yeah. Because they, I mean, if they're using that, they can do reshoots like pretty easily. But they actually have to go like to location to film anything. They're kind of fucked. They're definitely fucked. I mean, I don't think they use that that studio. I think it was the Pinewood Studios in um, Atlanta. Marvel uses that a lot. Like they used it for all, basically every single MCU movie. They go to Pinewood Studios in Atlanta. So I bet they would be able to do like whatever they need to in atlanta and they probably would be able to have that like virtual set thing so i bet they'd be set pretty well in atlanta at pinewood i don't know how like widespread that that technology is yet i mean it 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 feels it felt like uh mandalorian was like the very first production to be using it yeah so it might be something that's like only on lucas ranch at the moment nessie did you know the fortune cookies aren't even chinese There's some guy over here. they're made by americans based on the based on the japanese recipes hey bloody hell bloody hell don't move i'm not moving you want something take it although the guns are all fake because those wankers wouldn't trust me with the real ones what but the other story and i don't i thought this was just kind of a cute thing that was also on deadline uh, Walmart and Tribeca partner on drive-in movie series and retailers parking lots. Seriously? Yeah. So they are going to literally just have like drive-in movies in Walmart parking lots, which is a great idea because those parking lots are fucking huge to begin with. Which, um, who's partnering with Walmart? Tribeca Enterprises. So like the, uh, okay. Huh. That's cool. Okay. Movies will be programmed by the Tribeca Drive-In team in August through October for a combined 320 family-friendly showings, including special appearances from filmmakers and celebrities and concessions delivered to customer vehicles. The lineup wasn't released, but more information will be available closer to the start. So it started in August, and this is from Deadline by Jill Goldsmith. So That's cool, I guess. I mean... Like, it's just a cool little thing that, like make it more accessible for people and like getting different ways for people to kind of interact with movies, I think is a really, really cool idea. Is it a, is it going to be like 
new release movies yeah so they're gonna bring like new stuff that's pretty neat and yeah. so i think that's a great way for people to like there the people are having to think outside the box like another side note in the mlb they're trying to figure out ways to like engage fans so like you know how they're putting like cardboard cutouts and seats and shit yeah so like people are going to be able to s- submit for the oakland a's pictures of themselves and they're gonna if you you have to pay for it but like if you pay for a foul ball zone okay and if your cutout gets hit by a foul ball they'll ship that foul ball to you hmm like that's i think that's a, it's a cool idea yeah i mean it's, i mean it's if like three years ago you explained this to me, I'd be like, "Get the fuck out!" Exactly. Of here. Yeah, but this but, isn't three years ago. No. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I guess. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. Do you see? I don't remember which sporting event it was, but like they had set up cut uh, cardboard cutouts in the stands, and one of them was uh, fucking Joe Exotic. No way. <laughs> yeah, dude. It was probably Korea. That sounds like a Korea thing. I think it might have been Korea. I, it was either Korea or like a NASCAR thing. Oh, I bet it was NASCAR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's really funny. I'm gonna have to look that up later, though. Yeah. I could totally. See. I've been watching a lot of. I guess it's pretty neat. I mean, like, it'd be interesting to see like how, like, what the quality is, like, how big of a screen they have, what kind of stereo equipment they have set up for it, because it's like, you know, who's who's putting up the money for this? Like, is Walmart setting up the? Oh yeah, we're talking about Walmart. Um, yeah, I think I think with Tribeca, is I see I could see Walmart out there with like a fucking six foot like blanket sheet tied to two pvc pipes and be like here's our here's yeah. our movie theater guys they're promoting some fucking like really shitty projector that they have on sale for 50 dollars inside yeah, yeah. I mean, um no yeah i think i think you basically have to get out in front of that and show people ahead of time like what the screens are going to look like and how they're going to be quality movie screens for a drive-in and you almost have to partner with like a local drive-in or somebody who like operates multiple drive-ins to like consult with you on doing a really good drive-in yeah. setup. I would imagine Tribeca, like if they have a drive drive-in team, that's who's going to be like spearheading the uh, the setup. Yeah. So, I think yeah. it's a cool idea. I think it's just going to be interesting to see, and you know, hopefully somewhere in our area they'll be doing it because I'll go check it out. I'll go check out a drive-in movie. Yeah, in a Walmart I don't know. parking lot, I guess. Would you feel okay? Like it depends on like which Walmart it is, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, if we're talking like West Plano Walmart, fine. But if we're talking like the Walmart at seventy five in Spring Creek, you can count me the fuck out. Because even the Walmart that's over off of like four twenty three and one twenty one, like I wouldn't go to that one. The one right there by the Chick Fil A, oh, yeah, in Louisville. Fuck that one. Yeah, no, like I'll I'll go to the one. I'll even go to, like, the one... I'm not going to say that. I'll go to the one, yeah, in West Plano, or I'll go to, like, a Frisco one, or even, like, Richardson Garland. I go to one of those. But, yeah, like, downtown Dallas, fuck that noise. No way in hell. So, um, no, but I think it's a cool idea. I'm going to be interested to see how they execute it and if it actually gains some traction with people and how much they promote it moving forward, like, starting in August, especially if, like, shit's just still hitting the fan. Like, if they continue to move forward with this plan. Right. Um, but the big news yesterday that I'm really excited about, Zachary Levi is going to star as Kurt Warner in a movie that's going to be titled American Underdog, The Kurt Warner Story, which that's a terrible name, but yeah. I'm stoked for the movie. Um, and I was going through his Wikipedia page. Dude has led a life. Like, this guy has been all over the map. Yeah, I mean... He was 
pretty much a like NFL journeyman. What what school did he go to? University of Northern Iowa. Okay. So for people who don't know, and I didn't know a couple things about, I had no clue he went to the University of Northern Iowa, but he didn't even play until his senior season. In college? Yeah. Wow. And so then he went undrafted and was signed by the Green Bay Packers for like a season. And then they cut him. And that's when he started like to bag groceries. And then he went and was a grad assistant at the University of Northern Iowa. But then he got a chance to play in what was one of my favorite leagues of all time, the Arena Football League for the Iowa Barnstormers. And he played there for like a couple of seasons. And he won, He got them to back-to-back Arena Bowls. And then he was signed. Is that their Super Bowl? Yes. Okay. You don't remember the Arena Bowl? I mean, I remember the, the Arena Football League. I don't remember the fucking Arena Bowl. The Arena like... Bowl was dope. I loved Arena Football. Um, And so what happened was he signed what is called a futures contract with the St. Louis, or yeah, at the time St. Louis Rams, now yeah. Los Angeles Rams. Um, but so he signed a futures contract and he was allocated to the Amsterdam Admirals. Ryan, have you ever heard of NFL Europe? Yeah, of course. So he was with the Amsterdam Admirals, and I went did went down a rabbit hole of fucking NFL Europe team names. They had some awesome ones, like Centurions, and I think there's the Berlin Thunder. So NFL Europe looked like it was awesome back in the day. Is that even still around anymore? No, it all folded okay. in like 07. That's what I thought. It went a lot farther than I thought it was going to. Um, but then Kurt Warner, you know, had – he posted the highest uh, passing yards and touchdowns in the league. And then the Rams brought him on and he was the backup for Trent green, but then Trent green tore his ACL because Rodney Harrison went for his ankle in a preseason game. Uh, And Kurt Warner became the starter and just like led them on this ridiculous run. And so the movie is going to be about Kurt Warner literally going from bag boy to you know, NFL Super Bowl. Sweet. Well, I don't need to see the movie anymore. That's fine. You you just, you uh, just explained it to me. But here's the thing. How far into his life do they go? They should go to, like, retirement, right? But, I mean, like, it almost is one of those things where it's, like, do they just talk about, like, him going from, like, getting cut by the Packers and working in a grocery store to him winning the Super Bowl and that's where it ends? Or do you go past that? Because, like, if you Yeah, go- I'm sure they go past it. I mean, they'll do the, the, the whole thing where, like, you know winning the super bowl is obviously like the p- pinnacle of the movie like mm-hmm. the the climax of the movie but they'll do like the whole reminisce of the next 15 years of w- how he went from uh, the rams to the cardinals mm-hmm. and then how he retired and how, what he's you know they'll definitely have levi on like a booth somewhere on live tv and that'll be like one of the last scenes yeah it's, it's him being a, a broadcaster well she's a great broadcaster him and uh and Kevin Harlan, I love Kevin Harlan. He's hilarious. Yeah, he's pretty good. Um, and so I, I, I think Kurt Warner is a great story. I just hope, like, he's co-producing it, and he's a very I, I understand he's a huge Christian guy. Like mm-hmm. his faith is a huge part of his life, and so I just hope they don't like do a ton of stuff mm-hmm. where like it's a lot of overtones of like Christianity and like trying to force that on people. I don't. I, I think they can like highlight his. Faith yeah. without it being like pushy yeah not like preachy yeah i think that's my worry but i don't know like i think zachary levi is the type of actor that he's not gonna 
he wouldn't have signed on if he had that thought process if like that's what they were going for if that's what they pitched him on it's not what this movie's gonna be it's not gonna be a fucking like i I hope it's just a sports movie yeah that's exactly what it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be a lot like uh something like the rookie that would be okay then i'd be yeah i'd be so happy if that's how it turns out yeah um what was the other thing that i was gonna say about this movie oh I hope the one thing that they really talk about is his charity work. Um, he does a lot for kids and adults with disabilities because his own, I guess it's stepson, adopted son, um, has mental disabilities because his birth father dropped him at a really young age. Jesus. And it was like a kid from his wife's first marriage. So like, yeah. So he like he's taken it upon himself to like, champion this cause and do a ton with this platform that he has so i really hope they like talk about that a that lot. sounds like a story straight out of houston why houston it's trash trash city y'all oh my god sorry houston we're not yeah <laughs> um so i feel like that's the type of thing that like maybe could get lost in the shuffle a little bit in a in a guy's life that story that's going to be so you know, across the board, just football. Dude, they're not gonna. That they definitely won't get lost in the shuffle. Are you kidding yeah. me? That's gonna be like such an emotion, front center emotional pull. They're gonna fucking milk as much as they can. It's fine with me. Like, yeah, it's an sure. incredible story. Like he's, he's gonna be like the rookie mixed with like the Blind Side or some shit. I mean, like Blind Side on steroids. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Like I'm super excited for it. And I think I don't even know if I could be any less excited if it weren't Zachary Levi. You would be. For sure. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. You don't get, I mean, come on. Like, let's be honest. I mean, I like Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner's cool and all, but you really don't care about him that much. No, I love Like, Zachary it wasn't Levi. Zach Levi. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I guess I should explain. Like, last episode, I went on a Chuck rant and just said Chuck like five times. So, Chuck, but. Yeah, I mean, it's. it's I, I think they're. Uh, they understand that Zach Levi is your man crush. Yeah. And Shazam was awesome. Shazam's a fucking great movie. Shazam, like, objectively was great. So. It's, one of the, it's probably the best. I don't know. Do you think it's better than Wonder Woman? No, it's it's close, but it's not as good as Wonder Woman. I think it's like way different. It's yeah, like a it's different just a different movie. style. I think it's like a, the best DC movie in terms of like it not being one of the main series, like main characters, right? Yeah, like the holy trinity of DC. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, you know, obviously Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, like that's gonna be in class classes around, mm-hmm. but like all like we'll say the B characters yeah i mean like that's shazam. fair shazam i think I'm, this is by far the best one they've done yeah it's better than aquaman for sure yeah for, so yeah, and like definitely. aquaman was good but it's just not as good as shazam like shazam's hilarious it's a great family movie and zachary levi kills it as yeah adult shazam I mean, it was obviously better than fucking justice league oh my god like light years it's like it's yeah. it's such a yeah it's it's almost impossible to say like how much better shazam is than fucking right justice league can't wait to see fucking Zack snyder cut see if it that's gonna be nuts yeah, yeah. we'll see we've got some months to wait for that one but Dude, zachary levi is kurt warner is gonna be great i i i projected that that movie is probably not gonna come out till 2023 god knows. Oh, so that was a guess yeah that's a total guess i have oh, no okay. clue uh yeah we'll see. yeah i saw that and i was like good boy this is not gonna be that's probably 2022 yeah probably either late 2021 or 2022 like 2020... probably 2022 2022 was like my first thought but then it was like okay they're probably not gonna be able to start production for a while yeah and they probably have to like get everybody else like cast 
So it's like there's still a lot of work to be done, and I just don't know like when they're going to be able to like start actually filming it. It probably is. It's completely based on like Levi's schedule. So like when because aren't they shooting a fucking sequel to Shazam? Yeah. So that's part of one of the things that was on Deadline was they're talking about starting to film this at the end of the year, which seems really really fast. But um, and if they do that, then they probably could get it out 2021. Yeah. But um, then shazam 2 was supposed to start filming i think by the end of this year and so like now it's up in the air like are they gonna have to push that production but shazam 2 i think will definitely get pushed back yeah i think that's because like everything else is like all the other dc movies are getting pushed back so like mm-hmm. naturally you have to push back the release date of you know the shazam 2 the yeah. later movies yeah <clears throat> Interessante, Ryan. Oh, so interessante. Susie Q time, or do you want to talk some way back? Up to you, man. Susie Q it is. Okay. We will talk a little bit about the movie that was had a one-day premiere in the U.S. and Canada yesterday. We uh, paid our $10 and popped it on our TV real fast. And Ryan, what were your thoughts on this documentary? Do you want to do Jendo head ratings first? or? Uh, y- sure. Oh wait, where's the where's the uh, the dry erase boards? Gonna... They're on the wall. Damn it. Yeah. So why don't we just like write it down or something? Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's just write it on our phone. Grab. Okay, that works. Yes. So we are instead of us both saying like one at a time what our Jindo head ratings are, we're gonna from now on write them down and then show each other so that we are not influencing what our Jindo head max head ratings are right specifically for suzy q right now and then later for the way back starring ben affleck so for suzy q let's see what how do i type on this thing i yeah i think this is a fair rating i'm actually going to do the way back as well wait just do suzy q i know i'm just i'm writing down okay i'm gonna cut that out do 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 Okay, so you want to show yours now or? Uh, sure. Okay. Like, mine was a 2.5. Okay, I put 2.75. Okay. I think it was a good documentary. You give your thoughts on what. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a, like, above average documentary. Um, like, clearly, I don't think this is going to, like, win any awards for best documentary or anything. It was well yeah. put together. Um, there were some features of it that were really odd. Um, this, like, I'm sorry, but you guys need to chill the fuck out with the sound effects. Like, any... Oh, this shit? Like, the, the, the yeah, hand motion? There was multiple. Yeah. Like, whenever, like, Suzy Q would do this motion, like, and by this, I mean, like, fake, you know, air strumming a guitar, they would actually, like, overlay some, like, stock guitar saw, yeah, like, bass, chord. Bass yeah, clip for, like, three seconds. And then, like, that was bad enough. But then they started doing this thing where whenever she, like, moved her arms around or something or, like, said something dramatic, they had, like, the wishing star, like, yeah. sound effect happen. Like, that was super weird. That it was, was a really weird odd. way to do it. And then also, like, you know, a major part of her story was her um, leaving America and actually coming up in um, England you know, and they made a big deal about how uh, there's all this animosity between her and her family and, you know, how she expected to go back to America and be welcomed and loved. But 
her family was just actually just pissed off that she left for three years. So, like, it took a very, like, uncomfortable and weird tone through a lot of the movie where, like, uh, Susan Quattro is, like, you know, reminiscing and, quite frankly, like, bitching about the fact that... Blaming literally everybody else but herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, blaming her family for, you know, uh, not accepting her back when she, like... Because really what happened was, like, she went off to England and fucked off for, like, three or four years, really had zero contact with her family, made it pretty big, got pretty successful, and then came back to do a tour in America and just, like, rolled back home and expected everyone to be, like, you know, welcoming and loving. And rightfully so, they had actually, like, cut her out of their lives. Like They had moved on. Like, yeah, they would moved on. It kind of seemed like, you know, she was in her own world and there wasn't a lot of, like, reach <clears throat> or contact out to her her siblings or her parents or her you know old friends or whatever so that was like a really weird thing where there you know the documentary is trying to get you to feel bad for this like mega well, rock star i don't even think it's i don't even think it's the documentary like trying to make you make her make you feel bad for like this it was just presenting like her thoughts on all of it and not really diving into like how she tried to connect with her family during that time. Yeah. It just kind of left it vague of like she just went over to England. And what I the thought I had is she went over to England, she was kind of depressed that she was by herself, and then all of a sudden she had all this success. And in my mind, and this could be totally wrong, but this is how I kind of interpreted it, she basically was over there getting super successful and she loved it. And she wanted to be in that environment and she didn't want to leave that environment because she she craved this adoration and she was getting it there. And then she just didn't want to leave. And then at some point she just kind of like had this second thought of, oh, well, I also want to be popular in my home, you know, home country. Yeah. And then like went back there and realized the environment is completely different than England. And she had basically fucked off for three years and hadn't done shit like like she just didn't. Like she wanted, she she said earlier in the thing that she had. You like you ha do whatever you have to do to be successful, and she just didn't do that in America because it wasn't a priority. And so her to say like that it was a priority is disingenuous. And so in my head though, I think what you kind of have to do is, and I said this last night to you, is separate the subject of the documentary from the documentary overall. I think the documentary does a really, really, really good job of presenting all of this information and background about her right. in an unvarnished light and not really spinning the majority of it. Because you could have, he could have taken all of those scenes out of like her sisters basically talking shit about her, right? And like just made it out to be like, oh, her family was really dumb and like they didn't want to, like they were the bad ones. When in reality, he presented both sides and it's basically like you decide what your opinion is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, like, it's a really good documentary because it gives you a lot of background and information on her and what happened. And I don't think it makes her look super great. Right. Like, that's... I think they, yeah, I think you're right that they actually did, like, a really good job. I think it's really funny how, you know, we asked them, like, do you think this will make her look any better in America? Or do you think this will, like, help her achieve more not notoriety in America? And and after seeing this, it's, like, it makes perfect sense why she didn't catch on in, in America, right? Like, she, 
left America, made it big in uh, Britain and all like the associated countries of Britain, like Canada and Australia and throughout Europe. And then she tried to come back to America. And it's like, dude, we have enough of our own like, you know, rock stars at that point. Like, we don't need this chick that like, you know, we were just we were just so behind like what the trend was. And so when she was just a little bit early and by the time that America like got around to really liking that type of music, like she had decided to do other things. Like she decided to go do plays. Sort of. I I no, I think it's like if she had done what she did in Britain in America, like it would have turned out completely different. Like she would have been like the Joan Jett of yeah. America, like she would have made it been. It wasn't too early here, like because there were, you know, there was the same thing. They even said like the band, the girl, the girls band she was in was like too show bandy, and like it had gone more like grunge and like mm-hmm. really like hardcore rock. And actually, she was not with the times at that point. Yeah, and then she went to Britain and like you know did something that was more authentic to herself and got a good promoter there and a good like backup band and was able to be successful. It's like all those things that happened in America, she would have been just as successful in America than she had been in like Europe or Britain. Right. So that's kind of my point. She, she made a conscious, conscious choice to like push hard in Britain and then try to come back to America. By the time she came back to America, our our rock and roll scene had like taken off and we had a ton of our own stars and we were like okay we don't really care nor need you like you know you're not not gonna she didn't have a distribution deal here in america like the record labels were like yeah we don't fucking need you we got joan jett like well i mean like in the documentary it was a really clear sequence of like she did have distribution she did have a record label but there was a period where you know her records weren't selling well they were like you know, down in the hundreds in terms of charge, yeah. and the record label some didn't even chart. Like, right, some didn't even chart, and the that record label rightfully so dropped her. Yeah, and then she didn't get another deal. Yeah, and after that, she gave up and started acting. Yeah, right? she started doing plays. Which okay, and again, oh no, she didn't even start doing plays. She did three years of Happy Days. Yeah, she did three seasons of Happy Days, and which is why Henry we, Linkler was in there, which was cool. That was cool to see. Yeah, so like she, you know, she lost her record deal. She didn't uh get a new one she did three seasons of happy days and after that she started doing theaters and musicals in england like yeah i mean she's an amazing artist but like and she's a really good actress too she's a really good actress really good like uh musical actress Mm -hmm. you know if like if they had done a better not a better job but like they had focused more on the overall artist and not focus in on like oh she didn't do well in america and like this is where she failed like i get that it's a super honest portrayal of her entire life mm-hmm. but um like it it doesn't feel like like i want to if you're doing a documentary towards the end of someone's career you want it to be like a highlight and like a you know a but I think, I mean, do you want it to be just a highlight or do you want it to be like an honest portrayal of that person's life? Because that's what this is. Like, this I does wanna, not, I, like... I want an honest portrayal of the person's life, but I feel like it veered too much into the negative aspects of her life more than they should have. Yeah, and I mean, it's there's a lot of the celebrities that they get to come on and talk who 
the majority of what they're talking about is the fact that she didn't get big in America. Exactly. And that's one of those things where it's like, okay, I get why, like why that angle is a good one to take. But when you watch kind of what happened, it's like, okay, well there's the reason why like that. Okay. Like, yeah. I mean, there's two like very negative aspects of her life. They decided to focus on, you know, the fact that she didn't get overly successful in America. And the fact that, there was a lot of um, tension and animosity within her family, right? When, you know, I think her fans or anyone that, like, wants, is watching this documentary and discovering Susie Q for the first time, like, that's not what you should be focusing on. You should be focusing on this amazing artist and, like, how she came up and what she did over the course of her career and how her career changed. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're making a documentary about an entire artist career you want the majority of it to be focused on the amazing work she did whereas in this the but i think that the majority of the focus of the documentary was she didn't she wasn't successful in america and like here's all there's here's all the reasons her family fucking hates her but how do you focus on like because they focus on the music quite a bit they do like we have to say they talk about the music a lot and so it might have been how just, do you how do you not talk about that other stuff if the subject is the one talking about it all the time this you is, ask i mean you these you, are two things that obviously affected her a lot like and she wanted to talk about it sure so. but i mean there's like two things there right you either make the documentary uh not as long so you can cut out like you do mention some of this but you don't like you cut it in a way where it's not it seems like a focal point of the documentary mm-hmm. or i mean you know you see, you're asking the questions of her it's not like you know you're just turning on the camera and letting her talk for six hours like you know kind of seemed that way kind of seemed that they just kind of like let her go kind of seemed like you know that's what to. she was going to do anyways yeah. but like i mean as the documentary maker and the, as a filmmaker i think it's the responsibility to like shape the narrative of their documentary and get the you know the interview that they need and mm. the clips that they need to make that like well and I, but no we talked about this yesterday where it's like this wasn't they, like suzy q's they free don't, form documentary you this don't, was like you don't get to like form the narrative of the movie like while you're interviewing these people like you do the interviews and you take whatever they're saying and that's how you form the narrative so like you can't force these people to say certain things no you can't and you so can you do you like can't the best force job to talk about like she wanted to talk about the fact that she and she said it at the end and this is what i felt like kind of bad for was she now realizes that like she should have done a better job of reaching out to her parents because she literally said she was like all this stuff around me like i'd give everything in here except for maybe one guitar to have both my parents back like just for a day or so right and so it's like she now realizes and i think that's why it's such a focal point is because it's such a big part of in her head now that she missed out on you know having a real relationship with her mom and her dad and her sisters and now there's this real animosity between her and her sisters where they obviously still love each other but there's like there's this weird undercurrent of i'm pissed at you for not you know coming home or i'm pissed at you for not accepting me anymore yeah i mean if the filmmakers wanted to make a documentary or suzy q insisted on making a documentary that was more focused on like uh family and like her uh maturing and like understanding where this animosity comes from and how you know she regrets 
acting in terms of like not having the best quality relationship with their parents, mm-hmm. especially now that they're gone. That's fine. If, that, if that's the documentary they wanted to make, cool. But that seems more like a therapy session than yeah. what a documentary should be, right? Like she wants to, you know, if, if this wants to be like off camera and like cathartic for her, like honestly, that's a fucking therapy session. That's a group session. Yeah, that's it's not. It's not a piece of entertainment that you distribute around the world, you know, as like the definitive piece on, on the her. first rock and roll female artist, right? Like it, it feels a little off. Yeah, okay, I see what you're getting at now. Where it's like, if you wanted to make something that really showed who she was as like a rock icon, you solely focus on just her music. Or not even as a rock icon, as an artist, right? You yeah. focus on the portion of her life where she was a in a girl band, then you focus on the portion of her career where. She's a individual rock and roll artist. Then, like they touched on the fact that she when, was sorry. They touched on the fact that she was in musicals and did like theatrical plays. Mm-hmm. But then they didn't really like ask her questions about it. Or she really didn't like explain what yeah. that what that process was like from going from an individual artist to you know uh, being in music. Like that would have been fascinating yeah, to hear. It was like a very quick thing where all of a sudden it was just like, yeah, I was doing rock shows, and then all of a sudden I was on West End. Like, or yeah, it just like it was like that. All of a sudden I'm doing Annie, get your gun. Like, yeah, hearing what that process was like would have been super interesting. Or you know, why did she write a book of poetry? Why did she do this? Like, but and I think that's something that I think I I really enjoyed about it, and I, I thought was really interesting about her was, and I kind of liked about her was she had all these different interests that she wanted to do yeah. and so she just did them like she went out and did the shit that she wanted to do and was pretty good at the majority of it but she sacrificed some stuff along the way and i think that's the story of it is she there's all this shit that she wanted to do and they highlighted all that and then but they also highlighted what she had to sacrifice to get to those points yeah and so i mean i don't think you can like call this a bad documentary because no. they they decided to focus on those points i'm just saying that like in terms of a documentary i would want to see about her it's mm-hmm. not like beat by beat what i think of the best documentary about her would be but like i'm willing to admit that this is probably an amazing documentary in terms of the goals they were trying to achieve yeah. um in making it and i think it's really hard taking a person's life and career because i mean she started in like 67 or 69 so that's like fucking hell it's over it's 50 years yeah of career to like you know put into a documentary still down it's like that's an hour and a half really hard to yeah. do and so i think they highlighted and they gave a lot of background on her like rock career in their late 60s and early 70s and so i think for people who have never heard about Susie q i think it's a good introduction into who she is and maybe that's why it's like, okay, now you can go and learn more about what she did throughout her career and right. listen to her music. Um, I thought it was well done. And I think it's I think it's a really well done documentary. And um, it was interesting, the different beats that they took with everything. For sure. So, yeah. I thought it was cool. It was yeah. super cool to talk to the... Uh, Max. Um, the director and the producer. Yeah, it was it. awesome talking to director Liam Formager Mar- and uh, producer Tate Brady. So they're really good people. And... They did a great job with this, and they, they obviously had a subject who had a lot of layers to them. Yeah. They had a lot to kind of, you know, skull through. So, so I mean, I think if you're, you know, if you want to reminisce about 70s and 80s mm-hmm. rock music or you want to learn more about a pretty instrumental instrumental character in the, you know, history of rock and roll, mm-hmm. definitely check this out. 
Um, if you're a huge Joan Jett fan, check this out because yeah. Joan Jett obviously was super influenced huge by fangirl of Suzy yeah, Q. Of Suzy Q. So Suzy Q had a huge influence. If on If you're her. looking for a great, like, entertaining documentary, just overall the look to watch, I wouldn't recommend this. But if like you're looking for something in those n- niches, then check it out. If you're looking for something that highlights a lot of really weird England people, English people, this is the Good one. Lord. If you're looking for the craziest haircut of your life. Bro, yeah. This... They have some wild-ass haircuts. We shouldn't really talk, but, like, I mean, we'll say it. Um, yeah, yeah, they've got some wild ones, but they maybe they're cool people. But, but... she really and, – and the other cool thing that I wanted to talk about, she – it was about a 30-second thing at the very end where she – was at one of her like last shows in Australia or something, but she was making it a point to like sign autographs for everybody talk for, to anybody who wanted to. And she basically in like a voiceover was saying, you know, I do that because these people support me and love my music and love me and look up to me. And it's my duty to make sure that I engage with them because if I didn't, how dare I, if I do not do that, like they've taken the time to, check my stuff out i can give them the time and connect with them and that's something that i've always like i'm not saying i've ever thought like i'm gonna get super famous or some shit but like if we ever had any modicum of success with something like this like i want to connect with the people who support this yeah because those people are awesome and they're obviously interested in the same stuff we are and so i want to connect with those people and have those relationships and have those conversations with those people I think that's huge. I thought that was a really cool part of it as well to highlight something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, she seems like all in all like a pretty cool chit, like yeah. person, so Lady, woman. Yes. It was interesting. It was an interesting documentary. I'm happy we watched it. I asked Michael why it was easier to train oil drillers to become astronauts than it was to train astronauts to become oil drillers, and he told me to shut, shut, shut the fuck up. So that that was the end of that talk. He was like, you know, Ben, just shut up, okay? You know, this is a real plan, all right? And I was like, you mean it's a real plan at NASA to train oil drillers? He was like, just shut your mouth. <laughs> See, here's where we demonstrate that, because Bruce is going to tell the guys that they did a bad job of building the drill tank. He did a piss. See, he's a salt-of-the-earth guy. And the NASA nerdonauts don't, uh, don't understand uh, his salt-of-the-earth ways, his rough-and-tumble ways. Like, somehow they can build rocket ships, but they don't understand, like, what makes a good tranny. (laughs) We've had them training for eight months solid now. Eight whole months? Well, pretty much, yeah. Like, eight whole months? As if that's not enough time to learn how to drill a hole. But in a week, we're going to learn how to be astronauts. Oh, one whole week? Now you know how to fly into space? I need my guys. Why do you need them? They're the best. Everyone's the best. Why are they the best? I don't know. They just are. I'm only the best because I work with the best. Way back time, Ryan. We are going to write down our reviews real fast on our phones. Our Jendo Max Head rating. Uh, Put that down. But this stars uh, Ben Affleck as a alcoholic who becomes a basketball coach. Yes. That's a very basic way to explain the story. Well... Yeah, he was a star high school basketball player for the same Catholic school mm-hmm. where um, he goes to the coach. Yeah. Yes. And so, he's a raging alcoholic. And when we say like, holy crap, hold on. When we say raging alcoholic, it's not like he has 
10, 15 beers starting at like four o'clock in the afternoon. Like this dude is waking up and starting to drink. Like he's drinking vodka at his desk or he's like, he like is getting in his truck from working construction and he's like, like popping it and putting it into a cup and drinking it as he's driving. Yeah. As he's driving to the bar. Yeah. Literally to, yeah, straight to the bar. Yeah. So this guy um, gets a call from his, from the father at his old Catholic high school their coach just had a heart attack and he can't come back and coach. And so they ask him to step in and it's kind of this like ragtag team and he takes them and, and kind of molds them in his like hard working passion, compassion like type thing. And they start winning and they start doing really well. And then you start to learn more of why like Ben Affleck's character was kind of not led into alcoholism, but like fell into alcoholism. Yeah. And that was a part of the story, and I'm not going to talk spoilers. This isn't a spoiler review? You want to talk spoilers? All right, we'll Might talk spoilers. Well. The movie's been out for four months. Spoilers. His kid had cancer and died. Yeah. Like, that was a part of the movie that I just didn't fucking see coming. It really, like, they really blindsided you with it. Like, I was just like, whoa, okay. Yeah, like, because they go, like, and it's, it's hinted that this person keeps calling them. It's like, hey, the birthday party's coming up. And it's like, okay, why the fuck are they getting invited to a birthday party? And why are they going together? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's kind of he's separated from his wife, and so like, but they're still talking about going to this birthday party together, and it's just this kind of weird because like they don't really talk at all, but they're gonna go to this birthday party, and it didn't make a whole lot of sense. But then they get there, and it's at like an arcade, and there's all these kids running around. You're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, and it turns out that like the birthday party there for was a kid that their son had been friends with in the Trollden's hospital where they both were being treated for cancer. And we both looked at each other and were like, what the fuck? Like what awful people would invite the parents of a dead kid to like a nine year old's birthday party. It's a weird, that was yeah, super it's a weird strange. turn, but like <laughs> it was more of like a plot device to tell you like, Oh, this is how, this is why like it was to explain and to like help you grasp onto like, these are also kids who had cancer, and so like this kid was best friends with this other kid who's now passed away. It also allowed for like a very key plot point later in the movie, where like oh yeah, he wouldn't you know? There's a point in the movie where the kid who had the birthday party, um, Fuck. they don't say exactly what happened, but like he get, he has a seizure and he's back in the hospital, and then like there's a scene where the doctor comes in and tells the parents like what's going on. And the mom just, like, breaks down, wailing, like... Freaking out. Freaking out. Like, clearly, the, the kid's terminal. And, uh... And he's looking around, like, looking at the other rooms. Like, there's a dad reading, and his kid's in the host- hospital bed with, like, a shaped head and, like, asleep. And it's just, yeah, like, yeah. So, like, fucking a. Ben Affleck and his ex-wife are there, like, you know, supporting this family. And Affleck seems to have, like, a complete panic attack. And up until this point in the movie, he would actually, like, hadn't been drinking at all. The team was doing really well, and he was, like, really focused on that. I think they just, just made the playoffs, too. Uh, Yeah, yeah. They already made the playoffs. They'd won their last game to make the playoffs. And he just completely loses it, goes on a fucking epic bender, and eventually loses his job over it. So, like, I get how introducing the supporting characters of this, this family with the kid was important later because it, like, triggered his relapse and like this it was a really weird flow of the story where like you had this redemption and then an immediate like crash yeah back down 
to nothingness where he gets fired from the head coaching job and like you know just a whole shitstorm or shit like he drives his fucking truck into a boat a parked boat then stumbles in to the wrong house so essentially he breaks into someone's home uh gets arrested for it like fucking well, not even that he like he tries to escape from the house and the guy pushes him down the stairs gets knocked out taken to the hospital and that's when it's just like that's his rock bottom like his rock yeah. bottom is like literally being knocked out yeah. getting his job taken away getting knocked out like there's all this shit that happens and it's not shit that happens to him it's shit he does to himself and like it's because he's self-destructive because he he was dealing with a kid who had terminal cancer and passed away and he mm-hmm. he was struggling with what had happened yeah and so what i it was a weird thing for them to be invited to this like birthday party i feel like the better way of doing that is basically just saying like these parents invited these two other parents over for dinner or something because they were they got close when they were all in the hospital yeah and they just wanted to reconnect something other than a birthday party where where there's a bunch of kids running around because they like they had a a scene where they like focus in just on Ben Affleck and his ex-wife, and they're like, yeah. l- like very obviously uncomfortable and like you know, kind of don't want to be there because it's bringing up old memories and whatnot. And like that was kind of a weird beat from the movie. It would have been yeah. a way better if it had been like a dinner or like you know something ca- like kind of a catch up, you know. And, they're and that's op- the thing. I think if you frame it, because like, and I think like they say the kids in like the kid whose birthday party is is in remission yeah and maybe it's supposed to be a thing where it's like show happiness show these people trying to like you know give these this kid experiences that are happy instead of like the really awful ones he's obviously had and so showing them having like a birthday party like that's supposed to be something that would be really really good for this kid it's just weird that they invited this other family that like to be fair, is, like to be fair, we're probably focusing on this a little bit too much. It's really inconsequential to the overall story. But it's not because like it's such a weird turn. Like it's good, it's not good. It's a great plot point that shows like why he dives into alcoholism. It's just weird that they introduced it in this way. Right. When you could have done something where like those two parents have their kid in remission. And they just invite him out to something where it's only the four of them and maybe their kid, because then it shows that they had they connected really well while all their kids were in the hospital. Then again, though, that's like, why. Then again, by using the like background of a children's birthday party, like if it had just been a dinner, you wouldn't like had seen this like overwhelming reaction from both of them right like if it, if it just been like at a dinner party with you know those like five people or whatever like the reaction and the like clear distress on their faces wouldn't have been as much as at the birthday party where like that level of discomfort was mm-hmm. really obvious to the um, audience and maybe i'm diving way too deep into this like the thought process of it but like if you're having that party from the parents perspective like do you not you almost have to invite those other parents because then if you don't then it's like we're excluding them just because their kid died type thing yeah and then from their angle it's like it would have played a lot better if they had actually introduced those characters earlier in the movie which then like 
they, I mean, they, not really. Like, it was a phone call. Like, that's not a way of really introducing a character. Right, yeah. If they, like, actually met in person at some point in the movie and mentioned the birthday party, like, kind of, you know, they tried, there was a scene after or sometime during the birthday party where, like, we said to each other, this really feels like a reshoot because it was um, a discuss like this conversation between Ben Affleck and his ex-wife about why they were at the birthday party. Yeah, like explaining why. Yeah, they were there. it was yeah. like okay, it it feels like uh, the director or whoever you know making this movie saw the original like cut and was like, okay, we need to reshoot and like add in this scene to make it a little bit more yeah. palatable. So. But again, like I, I don't think it's. But real fast, let's talk about the basketball aspect of this movie. Okay. Cause it's pretty freaking dope. Like it hits all the beats that you would expect from a movie like this, but that doesn't mean that there's awesome moments of him just like cursing kids out that are fuck. They're great. Like he's just freaking out on the bench, like calling calls chicken shit. Yeah. It. I mean, it, it was cool how they had like the. Uh i don't know the team deacon whatever yeah it was like the team chaplain i think they called it whatever yeah i mean they said like a pastor or priest on the bench with them at all times and like ben affleck is fucking going off like not holding back at all and the dude is like hey we have a code of conduct chill the fuck out like please like these are children when it's just like a great moment too because like up to that point they get in their they've literally been getting their like teeth knocked in like every game really bad yeah and so finally he just like loses it because he can't stand like losing and so he just freaks not freaks out but he like starts being really like honest with these kids and starts holding them to a higher standard and they respond and they start playing better and yeah it's it's a fun movie like okay it's not a fun movie but yeah it's a pretty good movie it's a great movie and at the end of it it doesn't end the way you would think it would end and I think that's why I liked it so much because it presents a message at the end of not, oh, everything's going to be hunky-dory and, like, he's now the coach of this basketball team. Like, they knock this guy down a hundred pegs and then show you that he's slowly rebuilding his life but that he's on that right path uh-huh. and that if he stays on that right path that he can do really good things. But it's incumbent upon him to stay on that path. And I think that's a great message to end the movie on. Yeah, I, I really liked how they end this movie because, like, the last, the the very last like, few scenes is actually him just in rehab, and they made a big point of the, in the movie about how he was like this star in high school and got a scholarship to Kansas, but like something happened with his dad to where um, he gave up basketball and like never touched a basketball again, right, for like twenty some odd years, whoever it was. And the last scene in the movie is actually him picking up a basketball and going out to the court. Now, I swear to God, this rehab is like, this is like by far, this is like a Malibu rehab. This yeah, thing is like ridiculous fucking rehab. Fifty seventy five thousand dollars a month fucking rehab. And he goes out to the basketball court that's on the beach in a sunset, you know, in the west, in, in like a California beach somewhere. But that like, you know. That is, like, super cool. That's a great way to end the movie because, like, anyone who's gotten sober or has, like, gone through, like, that experience of, like, going to rehab and whatnot, one of the one one things that, like, is really weird that happens is, like, you know, for him, he's probably spent the past 10, 15 years, probably, let's say, a year or so in, like, deep addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And 
like you come out of that and you're like trying to rebuild your life from scratch and you're like starting with like a blank slate like you revert back to the things that you did before like active addiction right and like for him that was his love of basketball uh for him it was like actually picking physically picking up the basketball again and going out to the court and shooting hoops right so it's like it's a beautiful thing about recovery is where you know you're able to focus on the things that are so important to you instead of like your life being totally wrapped up in active addiction and alcoholism or whatever it is like that is such a great hopeful way to end the movie and say hey like you know it's kind of like what was the movie we just saw fuck um uh king sand highland like it's that same oh, kind yeah. of concept where you know they, this character has been through hell and like the story has knocked him down and built him back up and you know you end it at a point in the story where he isn't like this isn't like an extremely successful like story you know it's a hopeful story where he's got the rest of his life lined up for him and he can do kind of whatever he wants he wants to be a basketball coach again he can't do it right mm-hmm. like uh same thing with Pete Davidson's character like he screwed up a bunch, but he's got his life on the right track. Yeah. And, you know, ending the movie right there uh, leaves it wide open in the uh, audience's imagination to say, what's going to happen to Lex? Like, what is he going to stay sober? Is he going to, like, maybe rejoin the team or go to a different basketball team and, like, be an immensely successful basketball coach? Like, the possibilities are really endless for this guy. And that's how, you know, you want to end that kind of story. Yeah, I couldn't put it better myself, guys. But let's give our Jindo head rating. Okay, who's going first? Uh, Ryan. I'll, I'll, Ryan can go. Ryan goes first. Okay, I gave this a three point seven five. Okay, I gave it a four point five. Okay, yeah. I really like this movie. I thought it ended really well. Um, I thought it was a really good movie. I just thought that what? No, I just remembered back like we because they they win the basketball game that like puts them in the playoffs and i was like oh this movie's got like probably five minutes left i pause it there's 30 minutes left oh yeah i was like oh shit okay fuck on this guy yeah so that's like just that last 30 minutes are an amazing yeah i i thought it was really good i just thought that a lot of the story wasn't original like yeah we i hate to do this like two episodes in a row but like I have to compare this to Manchester by the Sea. Like, you know, it's a very similar story where, uh, you know, a young child tragically dies and the father goes off the rails, is estranged from the wife. Um, In Manchester by the Sea, he wasn't like an alcoholic or anything. He was just like severely depressed and like he basically just reverted to a hermit life. In this, he became an alcoholic and had that kind of redemption story. But like, you kind of have the same story happening there that doesn't feel completely original. Um, but layering in like the basketball story into it makes it really cool. Like I'm not, it's a, it's a solid movie. Just like it hits the beats of a lot of other movies. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think it's different enough from like a Manchester by the sea or like a King of Staten Island where it does it. And, okay max it does it in a way where like it's very different from i feel like it's a little bit different from what those other stories are doing and i think with that layer of 
him having a child who had cancer adds in another level that I wasn't expecting at all when I first saw this movie. And so I was surprised. And I, when I first saw the trailer for this, I was like, oh, that's not going to be that great. And so I was, mm-hmm. I was, it exceeded my expectations by a lot. And I, that's why I gave it a 4.5. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a classic Ben Affleck movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's a quality movie, but it's not going to win any awards. It's not going to be no. like, 90 percent on Rotten Tomatoes or anything like it's a solid it, movie but it's like an 83 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. yeah I mean it's, sure. it's a good quality it's above average movie it's just not gonna knock your socks off or anything no. like it's you know it I don't this is 84. probably this is a completely unfair characterization but I called this like the great value Manchester by the sea kind of yeah I mean which you know again it's probably unfair but like but that's your opinion, Ryan, and you're allowed to say it because this is America. Sticking to it. I love the message. I think it's a cool movie. I'll be telling people to watch it. I mean, I think people should watch it for sure. Yeah. So that's... don't watch this movie expecting it to be like a purely like yeah happy go lucky type story. No, I mean like a pure sports story. This is like yeah. This isn't a basketball movie. This is a like dramatic redemption story with like that involves basketball a little yeah, bit involves a sport yeah like that's the best way to put it so yep, yep. go check it out uh the way back is on dvd blu-ray whatever the fuck you want to watch it on uh check it out it's a great movie uh, also check out suzy q we'll be updating everybody on when that's going to be hitting um vod again so we will keep an eye out for that and let y'all know uh but thank you guys for listening to this episode it was a fun one we are going to be back next week on uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. So we might have a new setup. We're gonna try and uh Yeah, we got some stuff to do. Yeah, I don't think anyone cares particularly, but I don't know. We'll yeah. see. We got uh, we had our roommate move out, so we're gonna like convert, we're gonna convert his own whole room, man. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a whole studio. Yeah. It's gonna last about two months until this asshole leaves. Um, so where am I going, Ryan? I don't know where you're going, but mm, apparently you're moving away from here. Uh, so you don't love mm. me. Yeah, I don't love you. So or our love child. Yeah, he's asleep. He's a uh, he's woofing over there in his sleep. Yeah, Max is uh, doing some borky borks That's in his why sleep. I was pausing. Um, but no, we will be back next week. We've got a lot of great interviews coming up over the next couple of weeks. Um, check out all of our other episodes for loadfilmtalks.net. Uh, check out our Instagram for loadfilmtalks. Hit us up. Let us know uh, your opinion on stuff. Um, if there's other movies that you guys want us to talk about. Send us a message on Instagram. Um, also, follow us on Twitter. It's for Load Film. Uh, we'd love to engage with y'all. Uh, we're going to start putting up more posts on Instagram, asking for feedbacks and comments and like different games and shit. So, uh, looking forward to the future of all of that. But thank you guys for listening to this episode, and we will talk to you next time. Adios, amigos. Hey, hey, dude, try.